Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. It's a weird thing to say that after winning a Brownlow medal, you have an underwhelming fantasy football year. But that's very much how the community view the 2023 season of Lockie Neal. He was dynamic for us at times last year, and in a middle stretch of the year, it was the Lockie Neal of old. He's next up, number 35 in my 50 most relevant. Hello, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well. And joining me on this episode, a legend of the Super Coach community, talking about one of his favourite players, his Brisbane Lions, it's DR, mate. Nice to see you, and thank you so much for jumping on the 50 most relevant in 2024 with us. MJ, thank you very much for having me, mate. I've been a big fan from afar for a long time now. So to be a small part of the top 50 this year, it's a pleasure and an absolute honour, mate. And as you said, Lockinier, one of my favourite players. So looking forward to having a bit of a deep dive chat about the great man. Let's look into that 2023 seasonal data for a little bit from a super coach perspective. Got us that 110 average last year, 15 tons. So still a really nice volume of hundreds. Just maybe not the ceiling you'd hope, you think. No, nah, he's still fine for ceiling. A 176, his seasonal high score. And a career high for him is 198. He's coming in price at just over 600,000 for us in that format. While for AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, an average of 97. 13 tons, a top of 127 for the season, a career high score of 169. And in those two formats, he's priced just over 870,000 in AF and just a touch under 900K in Dream Team. Last year, he was a star in a number of different areas, just based on a per game stats, led the league for clearances, second for center clearances, top three in the league for stoppage clearances, 11th for contested possessions and top 20 for effective disposals and handballs. DR, there were some things that people knocked about the game of Lockie Neal last year and maybe were a little bit more hoping that a Bontempelli wins the Brownlow and he would have been deserving of it too. But I think we undersell just how good a football season Lockie Neal had. While the fantasy numbers are good, they're not as great as he's been previously, but he was still a weapon in fantasy and for your and our Brisbane Lions. Absolutely, MJ. And I know he copped a bit of flack about winning the Brownlow, didn't he? A lot of people not happy about that. Look, I was pretty happy as a Brisbane man. I did feel sorry for the Bond. And I must admit that going into the night, Lockie Neal wasn't one of my favourites for the medal. But if you look at his body of work over the season, and really since he's been at Brisbane, even before that with his work at Fremantle, what a man he's been. And even though some view that his, his 2023 season as a down season, you went through his numbers in the intro there, still an elite midfielder of the competition. He won a Brownlow, as, as we know. I was actually at the Giants game where he did receive those three votes. So a little bit surprising there, but we've got to look past just the one game and look what he did during the season. We will go through later, I know, some of his stretches. So a little bit inconsistent at times last year, but certainly when he was on form, when he was red hot, he was really red hot and he can produce anything on his day. So uh, certainly I can understand why you've got this man right within that top 50, mate. 
So that 110 average in Supercoach consisted of 15 tons, a good conversion of hundreds to 120s, which we know is helpful in that captaincy and vice captaincy space with eight 120 plus scores and a really nice basement in that format. A guy that historically in Supercoach has found a way to get tagged out of games and give us the 50s and the 60s and teams just go to him regularly, but just the two sub-80 scores. I know sometimes we look at anything that's not triple digits when we're paying up for these big premiums, and we're like, oh, that was a disaster. But the reality is just two in that lower echelon for the whole season, far from something to complain about. In AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, 13 tons. The conversion of hundreds to 120 is not as strong, just three of those getting to that 120 marker and a few more frequency of sub-80 scores with the six. But we talk about this kind of split of the year. We'll get into a hot run he had in a moment, but pre-buy in AFL Fantasy, 94.3. Post-buy, 99. Pre-buy in Supercoach, 110. Post-buy in Supercoach. 110. Like, so as much as there were highs and lows in 2023, he was still someone you could feel really confident about. A top 20 average in Supercoach last year. And I want to get this thought from you. Maybe it's a little early to jump into, into the podcast, but I want to ask anyway. He averaged more last year than Brayshaw, Rosie, Trelaw, Parrish, Taranto. And yet some of those guys are getting way more love in the community across the formats than what Neil, especially in Supercoach, probably deservedly so, should be getting. So we'll get into the 2022 data. In fact, we don't really need to know. He's a beast. Since he's got to Brisbane, he's just in Supercoach, like 110, 120, 130 averages. So in that format especially, just a gun. Do you think in the community this year, there's a new generation bias that we're seeing and we're starting to and maybe rightly so, but sleeping on some of these old-time greats of the fantasy footy community. Absolutely. It's like out with the old toys and in with the new toys in the cot. With We've got some really exciting prospects on our radar this year. And just to throw a few names out there, as you mentioned, your Brayshaws, your Butters, your LDUs. I think what lots of people may be looking for is that added upside. So with Neil, question marks may be around, well, what is his upside? We know what he's well, we know what he's done over the last four years. Is he at that age where he can produce even more? Or have we seen the best of Lockie Neal? But again, if we look back to those numbers last year, they're still elite numbers. One thing that we've got with Lockie Neal is history. And you can't beat history. When you're looking for upside with potential players, there's always, you know, some question marks around that. There's never any guarantees that someone's going to improve their average. So I think what you also need to take into account is who's had that history of consistent super coach fantasy dream team scoring over a number of years. And this man over, well, since 2017 is in the top five for super coach averages. So as you mentioned, a beast, a machine, he's absolute rolled gold. And since he's come to the Lions, he's, been such a massive, massive factor and contributor to our recent success with the recruits of other players like Cameron's and fantastic other players that we've brought in there as well. But Lockie Neal really has been that one bloke that's really helped to rise our side. And so he's someone that I don't think we can sleep on. There may be other players that you've got in front, but don't look at Lockie Neal and simply scroll past him. Make sure that you take a very, very good look at this man because what he's done 
is pretty much second to none in this competition. It really is. So much of that Brisbane team has has evolved and changed year on year. Some brilliant recruiting, some great drafting. But over the past 12 months, there's been two significant changes to that midfield mix. One we won't see for a half to two-thirds stretch of the year, unfortunately, and in Will Ashcroft. The other is Josh Dunkley. We'll, we'll look at the Ashcroft effect in detail in a moment, but... It feels like Lockie has dynamically changed elements of his game as an outsider looking in as a Brisbane fan and then someone that analyzes things from a fantasy and a super coach perspective. How do you see this Lions dynamic moving forward into 2024? Because the past is the past. It informs the future, but it doesn't dictate it. How do you get a read on it for us? It's one of the reasons I wanted you to come on this Lockie Neal episode is you got a really great read on the Lions for us. How do you see Dunkley the impending gap of Ashcroft and just this overall Lions midfield mix working for us next year. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Well, it's really interesting. When we talk about Lockie Neal's role, we quickly look back to last year in the preseason. There was a lot of talk from Chris Fagan himself that Lockie Neal, there was two names that he really did highlight. That was Lockie Neal as well as Jared Lyons. And he mentioned that very, very likely they would be spending less time in the midfield. Jared Lyons, who I don't know how relevant he's going to be this year, was mooted to spend a lot of time forward. And Neil was meant to spend a little bit of time on the wing and even pushing up forward at times. But what we actually saw was an increase in his CBAs just by 2% though from the previous year. So when it comes to Lockie Neal's role, I really don't think that, that it's going to change too much. We also had chat that Bailey and Cam Rayner were going to feature really prominently in the midfield last year and maybe take some minutes away from Neil. But that really wasn't the case. It was that sort of third rotation. You had your Neil, your Dunkley, Ashcroft for a majority, but then you'd have your McCluggage swing through. And there really wasn't a lot of time for your Rainers and your Baileys to actually go through that midfield. There was really sort of that big four there. So going into this year, I don't see Neil's role necessarily changing. But one thing that I think we've really got to keep in mind is his change in mindset, I would call it. And I'm a little bit surprised about this because, as you mentioned, what I really loved about the recruitment of Josh Dunkley is his defensive mindset. Defence first, and that's what we really need at the Lions. We've got enough guys that can hunt the ball, but we needed that solid body that, that's a role player. And when I say a role player, he's much more Josh Dunkley than a role player. But first and foremost, that's what he brings to the side. But what we actually saw last year, particularly in tag games and Lockie Neal's a bloke that, let's be honest, gets attention most weeks. Not necessarily that super hard tag, but very, very rarely do you see this man just roaming free in the pastures. There's always someone playing pretty close attention, not necessarily a Finn McGuinness type, but there's always someone following him around. He just doesn't get any space, this man. But what we did notice in these games where he did get tagged was that instead of looking for other players to, say, block for him, he started getting more of that defensive mindset and thought to himself, well, do you know what? We've now got other players. This Brisbane team has now evolved. We've got other players that can actually hunt that ball. And 
why don't I actually start to put a block on myself for some teammates? And what we saw in multiple games there where Neil did get the tag was that other players were able to actually step up. So I've got a few games here just with some numbers. So we saw that Frio game, Hayden Young gave him a bit of a hard tag there. Only the 90 super coach for Neil, but then we had Berry step up with 28 touches. And Berry's a type of player that you don't see huge numbers from him, but when he's needed in that particular role, when someone else is down, he's someone that can step up. Hugh McCluggage is another bloke. We look to the quarterfinal against the power. Neil only the 19 touches, but Hugh McCluggage, 26 touches, nine clearances, four inside 50s, three goal assists. Wow. And it's very interesting to note that two out of Hugh's four highest scores in Supercoach actually came in games where Lockie Neal did receive a bit of a hard tag there. The one game where he really lowered his colours in regards to the tag was in round 20. I call that the Took tag. And he made Lockie Neal look a little bit silly. I know many media pundits got on Neal's back, said he's lazy, work rate wasn't up to scratch. But when it comes to durability, and this may be a bit of a different discussion, I'm going a little bit everywhere here, but uh, he was playing a little bit sore, particularly towards the end of last year. And I know that all players are. That's pretty much a given, isn't it? What player in the <laughs> AFL that's played, what, 20-odd games to that point isn't going to be sore? That may be a really obvious thing to say. But uh, Chris Fagan did mention in August that he had been playing through a fair bit of pain there. So when it comes to his role going forward, in a bit of a nutshell, I don't see that CBA rate going down. I think there's other people that are going to fill that Ashcroft void. I don't see him necessarily improving on his numbers stats-wise. I think that could pretty much stay at the same type of level, but I would expect him to be a little bit more defensively mind, have that more of a defensive mindset, particularly as he's getting a little bit older now. You know, 31, he's a captain of the side. So is that another element? Now he's a captain is he starting to become a little bit more unselfish? I think it's part of that, but also part of the fact that he should now have, and we all do as fans now, have a lot more confidence in other players to be able to step up. We're not the Lockie Neal Football Club like we potentially were in the first couple of years where he entered our side. We're now the Brisbane Lions Footy Club with a really good mix of ages, I think. The young blokes that can step up, you've got your Dunkleys at that peak age, and then some of the older blokes like Lockie Neal, even a Dane Zorko can step in there time to time when he's potentially needed. So uh, I may have gone on a little bit of a rant there, MJ, when it comes all, to his uh, potential role next year, but uh, that's pretty much the way that I see it, mate. It's a good summation. And sometimes we have our own biases and beautifully our clubs are the bias. But sometimes it's super helpful for us to sit down with fans in the fantasy footy community and go, you support this team. What do you see? How do you see this unpacking? Talk to me because we all look at our own teams with greater depth and insight. Sometimes we're a little bit more critical about our own teams and what they are doing or aren't doing. And so being able, because the community from Supercoach, AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, whether it's on social media, in person, over a drink, or, or just randomly at the supermarket, you happen to random something, you're like, I know that bit of merch. I know who that is. It's to ask you, go, who do you support? What do you see in your club? It's just those extra bits of nuances and narratives. So I think you've dropped some really helpful stuff for us there dr if you want to look at his ashcroft with and ashcroft without stats it's about a 12 points per game bump in afl fantasy and about 15 16 in super coach it's not sending him to the stratosphere of like he was going 120s 130s uh, or 115 120 in, in afl fantasy 
but it's still good. I, I think there's still something about Neil that gets lost on people is that he still gave us an incredible stretch of games last year. If you owned him from round nine when he was arguably at his cheapest point through to round 17, so an eight-game stretch through the buy rounds, which is where you really want those premiums you have firing, here's what he did. 111.1 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. 125.5 in Supercoach. So that eight-week stretch, he's going right up at that top end of our scoring. So you're going, uh, I'm going to fade, Neil. I'm hearing DR talk about other guys stepping up and the gap of Ashcroft. Uh, maybe I've got no interest. Here's the thing. With Neil, there is always going to be a basement game. It will come likely because of a tag, whether it's his selflessness that allows others in and he takes himself out or... A, opponent just gets the best of him the worst thing about neil is he'll give you a bad game the best thing about neil is he'll give you a bad game and due to the price cycles if you're not on him you can get him at a discounted price so he's shown us even as late as last year the ceiling is still there across the formats the consistency across multiple months of football is still there is that tag risk you, you mentioned it a little bit, but is that still there for you, DR? We'll look at the fixture in a moment in the opening round, but is that still a risk for you and a, and a concern for you both as a Lions supporter and as a super coach player? Look, I think the tag will, will always be around, but what the, and, and this may be just a bit of a gut feel as, as a Lions supporter, but I don't know how super coach relevant is going to be because when you talk about inconsistency, particularly in Supercoach. Humor Cluggage is one of the blokes that you'll see his picture in the dictionary. He's a very up-and-down player. But what I really expect to see this year, particularly even in that Ashcroft void, is Humor Cluggage really start to step up as a football player. And as I mentioned before, as I touched on, we are not the Lockie Neal Football Club. So I think we will start to see some other players evolve. And it's not going to be as easy as just look to shut down Neil and you shut down the line. So that could mean two things. It could mean the fact that maybe they ease up on that hard tag and don't really go with that strategy, particularly against lines. Or do you look to go with that Huey McCluggage and, and look to lock him down? Because he's not only good on the outside, but he can play that inside football as well. Oh, super damaging by foot. You do not want the ball in his hands going inside 50. Super damaging Huey McCluggage. So that could potentially be another factor as well. And if teams know that Neil's simply going to go to that defensive mindset, well, is it worth taking him? Is there someone else that's going to get off the chain here? That's another thing that I think we need to take into account. So certainly think that attention will come his way, but there's a big question mark about how regular that attention's actually going to be. What are your priorities? Is it stopping that inside player? Is it stopping more of that outside run? I know that's, that's something that Brisbane's really going to focus on this year and potentially get a Bailey in there, just get more of that run through the midfield. So what do you prioritise stopping? I suppose that's up to the opposition sides. Yeah, it's a good shout. It all depends on who they've got to as their weapons. Do they have the guy that can stop that contested first touch player? And that's where Neil excels in the competition. We shared some of those stats of what he's like at clearance stoppage. He's an animal and almost unmatched in the competition. As we look at what it means then for selecting him in our starting squads or our upgrade trade cadence, he does feature in the opening round with a bunch of other teams. They take on the Blues, which is a, a relatively favorable matchup from an inside mid perspective. Hewitt may, you know, spend some time at stoppage alongside him, but Carlton have showed 
it's an infrequent use of Hewitt on a hard tag as opposed to just a countable uh, stoppage. They then hit the buy. That probably stalls a few people after a Dockers matchup, then the Pies, then North. So given they've got that early buy, it does put a lot of people off, not just Neil, but premiums in general that have a buy in that first six weeks. What's your take on not just Neil, but generally premiums in that kind of first six weeks of the year? We know we'll see a price of um, aid for us with the way opening round will go, but what's your take? Can we start guys at the top end of the tree knowing that we are tra- starting a guy that will miss a week in the next likely two, three, four weeks of the year? I think it all comes down to balance, MJ. It all comes down to balance. I think we can afford to run with a couple of these blokes if you're that keen on them. If you've got that feel that they're ready to explode or for whatever reason you want to select this player, if you're keen on them, I think you can. But I certainly wouldn't be going over the top. And this may be a bit of recency uh, bias playing BBL Supercoach as well as dabbling a little bit of NBL Supercoach as well you really need to take the fixture into account. Um, In the BBL, we've got double games, for example. Uh, You look at the weather, there's so many more factors there. But I think just being in that mindset, really looking at the fixture and having a deep dive there, I think this year in particular with round zero, we've had a year like no other in Supercoach. And fixture has never, ever been as important as this year. So for me, another thing I think will put people off is, they will actually have two buys before other particular clubs have their first buy. So they'll have two buys before Frio, Northwest Coast, Geelong and Essendon have their first. So when we are comparing someone like a Lockie Neal to a a Zach Butters, that's something that I know myself personally, I'm definitely taking into account the fact that Zach Butters will play, what is it, 12 odd games, whoever whoever many it is, before he even has a buy locking the all miss too. So I think that a really popular strategy might be going with, um, I'll throw, I'll throw a name out there. Cam Guthrie. Could you start with the Cam Guthrie around the 400 odd K mark? Wait to jump on the locking eel just before Guthrie has his first buy. You've got every game you can from Guthrie. You've missed those two buys from locking eel. You've had a really good look at him for the first half of the season. We'll know exactly what his role's like what the Ashcroft void's been. I suppose another thing is Ashcroft may potentially be ready around that buy to come back into the side. So maybe the data flips on its head when you may look to get Neil in, which is another thing we need to take into account. But I just think that not starting someone like a Lockie Neil, being able to see how he goes to that first half of the season, jump on someone else where you know that unless injury strikes, that, that you're going to get those full games off them. I think that will be a really popular strategy. And that is what's putting a lot of people off starting your lines type players. But again, going back to the first point that I mentioned, don't let that put you off completely. If you like a player, feel free to select them, but certainly don't go over the top. I'd be getting that fixture out, MJ, putting your premium names next to all of those rounds, looking into the future. I'm not saying base your whole starting team off the fixture, but super, super important this year, mate. There's some really good advice. It means yeah, they share that early buy with Carlton. So if you're bullish on Lockie Neal, because that fixture after that little break is relatively good for inside mid matchups and relatively tag free. So all of a sudden it's like, well, now, while they're not priced the same, do I like Walsh so much that I'm prepared to 
fade Neil or do I want Neil and I've got to fade that? There's some value in that back line off that same buy round with Kitty Coleman and, and Zach Williams. So all of a sudden it's like, yeah, it might only be best 18 and you can afford it, but all of a sudden your risk profile of needing rookies and cash cows to score on field and not to have them fall away while they'll count in their price cycle movements the scoring won't on field this is as dr's talking about getting that balance right so can you fade Lockie neal and target him as an upgrade after his first or second buy yeah absolutely no problem at all can you start him or any other premium that has an early buy yes it just means it's around the prioritization allocation, getting the right balance of your side and minimizing the need that cows have to count for multiples of those best 18s. Get that balance right. I'm a little bit more leaning with you while you haven't said it as um, black and white. You've kind of indicated pretty heavily a more likely leaning for you personally towards upgrade target for Lockie Neal, although there's definitely a pathway um, and you've mapped that out nicely for us about how and the justification for how you start Lockie Neal. History, as recent as last year, tells us Lockie Neal is a super coach animal. He's as good as anyone at getting 120 plus scores with incredible ceiling. Over the past five years at the Lions, we've seen in AFL fantasy, at one season, he was the leading scorer in that format. And even last year, over a couple of months, 110 averages and providing us with supreme value. So you might not start him because of the buy, because of something. That's okay. Don't waste January and February only thinking about your starting squad. You will spend more time navigating the trades. And arguably, these are all trading games at the end. Your starting squad counts, but it's the moves you make in season that will ultimately dictate your success, especially if rankings is the ultimate priority for you. We'll wrap up the episode in a moment. We'll turn our attention quickly to drafts. In AFL Fantasy Drafts, I feel like he'll go as an M3 on that format. He's still got some great name currency, so that even though his average might not be 100-plus that everybody's paying attention to, man, you're getting into that fourth, fifth round, sixth round of a draft, and you see a two-time Brownlow medalist there. In AFL Fantasy, you're like, how can I not jump on that? He'll probably go a bit earlier in Supercoach. Again, got a better pedigree and history through there. Is he going to be an M1 for people? Is he M2? Do we get a little bit of value as an M3 DR? Where of those three spots do you see him most likely going on draft day for Supercoach? I'd say most likely I'm looking at that M2 spot. I feel that M1's probably going a little bit too early. I think there's some going to be some better options out there. I think he'll be a little bit of a reach there. Personally, MJ, I think he fits almost perfectly at M2 there. But when it comes to M3, and, and you touched on this before, mate, a little bit of that next-gen bias, the changing of the guard, is he going to be a man that people forget about a little bit? And they look to the new gen. Oh, it's just old Lockie Neal. Will he be on the board a little bit later? I think that, look, if you manage to get him at, at M3, it's an absolute dream, and you are absolutely winning this draft at that point, I think, mate. But I, I, I see a world... Where, where he could slide there. I don't think it's extremely likely. I think M2 is, I'd, I'd give it a 70 to 80% chance myself. I'm pretty confident there. But uh, either way, M1 or, or M3, never say never, mate. But M, M2 for me, MJ. 
Yeah, I like that spot. Now, I've never met DA. He's definitely one of the nicest guys in the Supercoach and Fantasy Footy community. Uh, where can we get in touch with you across social media? And you've got your own content you're delivering really regularly for us in the preseason and season proper. Uh, tell us where people can get in touch with you and watch what you guys are doing. Oh, firstly, thank you very much, mate. You are you are too kind there. Uh, likewise, mate, one of the best blokes that uh, you'd ever hope to meet. First one we've sat down and had a chat today. It is. And it's like uh, we've been old friends for, for the past few years, mate. So uh, firstly, thank you very much for, for having gotcha. me on, mate. Uh, yeah, produce weekly videos on YouTube. So you can just search for Supercoach with DR. Also, uh, getting on Spotify this year with our Supercoach Swordplay podcast. Do that with two of my best mates, uh, Jonathan Spills. If you're looking to follow me on X or Twitter, I go between X Twitter. I always go X slash Twitter, but people know what you're talking about. Hopefully, I think, mate, it's uh, just supercoach underscore DR. So, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, MJ, I'd love you to uh, come and join me for uh, a podcast, mate, because I uh, love what you're doing for the community. It's uh, an absolute institution, this top 50. And uh, as fun. I mentioned in the intro, to just be a small part of it, mate, and uh, get to chat with you today. Uh, has been absolutely fantastic. I appreciate you having me on, buddy. No, mate, absolutely. Very, very happy to do that. We, we love what you're doing. If you've missed any of those places where you can keep in touch with DR or go and check out the great content he's been delivering for years in the Supercoach community, we have dropped all the links in the description of this episode. So you can go that, follow him across social media, enjoy that great content. And chances are if you're in Melbourne and there's a Brisbane Lions game and you see a very vocal person yelling out, high percentage that it's DR uh, just shouting <laughs> it down at somebody so you can do that if you want to go and read the article uh that goes alongside this episode uh, it's available for you as well as every other player we've done in the 50 most relevant so far at coachespanel.tv the audio podcast you can go and subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode we've got that there so go in subscribe leave a nice five-star rating and review it's just one of those small simple things you can do that makes a really big difference for us in the super coach community Getting emotional. My voice is breaking. It's what happens when you hang out uh, with good people, isn't it? No, it's uh, it's very, very true. Absolutely. Maybe maybe that's what it is. In about 30 seconds, I've got a nice little clue for you about who's next in the 50 most relevant. So see if you can figure out who it is. But if you do want to support the coaches panel, one of the most practical ways, become a Patreon supporter. For just a few dollars a month, you can support the coaches panel. And if you join that breakout and premium tier, We'll give you the audio podcast of the 50 most relevant a day early, as well as a ton of other rewards, hidden group access, extra in-season content, extra pre-season episodes, videos, articles, and access to all the members of the coaches panel. And you can pester them over message uh, to find out what you should do right throughout the season. So if you want to do that, all the details for that and where you can keep in touch with us across socials are in the description of this video. So, Who's next in the 50 most relevant? Last year, he was one of the highest owned players going into round one. He made the top 10 of my 50 most relevant last year. So that narrows it down to 10 players. And yet, I haven't seen anybody talk positively about him this year. He was so hyped last year and he was fine. But he didn't hit superstardom like people thought he might. And so why is the community called? Is there a reason for it? Or did we just think he would be so great that his brilliance wasn't still enough? Find out tomorrow in the 50 Most Relevant. <laughs>